Welcome to Phoenix and Flame, pushing through and transforming even when you feel like a pile of ash. This podcast is not intended for use as psychotherapy. If you feel you are in crisis, please call 911 or contact your local crisis hotline. Welcome to Phoenix and Flame. I'm Dana, and this is my podcast on pushing through and transforming even when you feel like a pile of ash. Well, today I have a wonderful guest, and her name is Kim Sorrell. Kim is the director of a humanitarian organization, a popular speaker, and the author of two books. Now, her first book, Cry Until You Laugh, is about her and her husband's battle with cancer after being diagnosed just four months apart. Her second book, Love Is chronicles her year-long quest to find out the true meaning of love. A sometimes funny, sometimes scary, always enlightening journey that led to life-changing discoveries found mostly on the streets of Haiti. Now, Kim is a cancer-surviving, entertaining widow and an expert on love. She serves up inspiration with a side of humor and life application for dessert, which I love that because people that have been listening to my podcast know that I'm all about the application. Okay, that's interesting, but what? how are we going to apply that? So that is fantastic. Kim, welcome to Phoenix and Flame. Dana, it is a pleasure to be here. I've been looking forward to this. Your podcast is wonderful. It should be on everybody's favorite list. I, I love it. I just love it. Thank you. Thank you. Well, you know, I have read some more about you, but I wanted to give you the platform to really begin to sort of share with my listeners, what was it that you went through? I mean, really, you and your husband both being diagnosed at the same time, and then there's other things that happened, and you had children involved. And so what happened along the way that led you to this pursuit of trying to figure out what does love really mean? Well, uh, it is exactly kind of what you just described or put in a capsule, I guess. I uh, Losing my husband, I mean, uh, he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. He started having stomach aches right after, shortly after, a couple weeks after I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And the doctor just kept saying, oh, it's just nerves. It's just nerves. And take some Tums, you know, whatever. Went to the doctor a second time and was told the same thing. Went to and then was referred to a gastro guy. Went there and uh, the doctor wasn't in. He saw a PA and they told him to take some Tums. And uh, a week later, I said, this is ridiculous because it was keeping him up at night and it was a bad stomachache. I said, go to the ER. You know, at least they'll run a test. So that led to a few days in the hospital and some tests run and a few days later getting um, his diagnosis of pancreatic cancer. They thought he'd live about a year because he was young and healthy. He was uh, six foot three and 175 pounds. And even though he thought that donuts were the fifth food group, <laughs> he was pretty healthy, otherwise pretty healthy eater and very active and in great shape. And, uh, so we anticipated some time together, and it ended up being just six weeks, six weeks after his diagnosis. And from the beginning, we just prayed, you know, either heal him like you did the lame and the blind or the ultimate, like, 
you know, I believe in an afterlife, take them to heaven, but don't let them suffer. That was, that was the prayer. And that was our prayer that was answered. He did not suffer. We had a wonderful six weeks and, and he woke up on a Sunday morning and in pain for the first time, like in, in pain. And I called the hospice nurse. She came right over and gave him some extra morphine. And then, uh, she, I said, is he okay? You know, should I be calling family? And she's like, oh, no, no, no. You got lots of time. You got lots of time. And he was sitting on the edge of the bed. And I was sitting behind him, holding him so that he wouldn't fall off the bed. I was worried that, that he might just fall off the bed. And uh, I could just feel his misery. I could just feel it. And uh, and I asked the hospice nurse again, I've got a son in the Navy. I mean, should I call? who should I call? And she said, no, no, no. You're, you know, you're talking weeks anyway. So you, you have lots of time. But she, as she was on the phone ordering a hospital bed and a commode and whatever, because we didn't have any of that. We had this great time. And uh, so holding him in his misery, I just, I whispered in his ear, baby, just go. And that was it. He took his last breath and that was it. That was the end. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Right. Which is so merciful. I mean, people linger, right? And people suffer. And uh, I'm so grateful that he didn't have to go through either one of those things. That that diagnosis, the pancreatic cancer, is it, it's a lingerer. Mm-hmm. And it, it really comes with a lot of, if I'm not mistaken, that's what Patrick Swayze had. Yes. Um, and it yep. just, it kind of goes on and on and they become very emaciated and they keep trying to, and he did do the best that you can and try to stay strong and eat right and everything. But it's, it's a pretty ravaging diagnosis to have. And it is right. Right. There's no cure at this point in time. They can maybe extend your life a little, uh, but there's nothing really that they can do. Not much they can do for pancreatic cancer. Yeah. So I thought I had my life laid out, right? Like I I was 47 years old and we'd just become empty nesters. And I was so excited to be an empty nester. And I don't know why, because I love my kids and I don't know what empty nesters do if they run around the house naked or (laughs) I, I don't even know, but I was so excited to be one. And then bam, you know, I got my diagnosis and then his and, and the plan was we were going to be this old couple in our 90s in rockers on a front porch, sipping lemonade, smiling at each other, whatever people in their 90s on rockers, sipping lemonade do on a front porch. And now that dream was gone, you know. And so I had to reinvent. I had to figure out what is life. And and I questioned a lot of things. And one of the things I questioned is even though I had this great marriage, he was a wonderful man. And I... I know I had it better than a lot of people have it their whole lives. I questioned the real meaning of love. It seems to be this question for everybody. I mean, there's so many songs written about it and so many movies and books and and people talk about it. But what is it really? You know, really, what is it? And so that's what drove me to dedicate a year to figuring it out. That's an excellent question. And I mean, when, 
when I was looking over all of your information, you know, for us to kind of figure out if we were going to do this podcast together or whatever, and I'm just intrigued by that concept. And also, you know, I had shared with you before that I'm known as the queen of boundaries. And so it's sometimes people get, they get kind of stumped up on the idea of what is love? Like the question that you're asking, and especially if they happen to be in dysfunctional relationships or, or trying or struggling relationships and how do I set boundaries and still love? What does love really mean? Can I love someone and also set a boundary? And so it, it starts like you're saying with the whole concept of what, what does it mean to love? And you have, a, you have different relationships and how that would play out with different people. So how did you end up in, in Haiti. <laughs> well, when I was healthy enough finally to go back to work, uh, it was like the end of the year, and I ran into a man who was running an organization that my father and I had started 10 years before. And I said, Hey, do you need any help? I had businesses, but I had people running them, so I wasn't sure what I was going to do. And, uh, and he said, Yeah. I said, How about bookkeeping? And he said, Oh, gosh, if you could do that. And so I thought, okay, well, I'll be part-time bookkeeper and then figure out the rest of my life. And so I started January 1st, clean books. And then 12 days later, there was an earthquake in Haiti that killed 200,000 people. So I went from part-time bookkeeper to 24-7. And within a couple of weeks, I was in Haiti uh, working. And uh, for the next several years, I was in Haiti at least part of every month. So par part of your business was there in Haiti? Yeah, nonprofit work. Right. Okay. Yeah. So you went, and what was the span of time to where here you are, mm -hmm. your kids were launched, yes. and you thought that you and your husband were going to be empty nesters together, and you had this idea of what that looked like. You're dealing with cancer yourself. We don't need to, like, minimalize that. You were dealing with, you had your diagnosis first, then he was diagnosed, then he passes away. And so help me take us into that transformation of, I thought my empty nest years were going to look like this to now I'm in, in Haiti a lot because of all of this going on. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. One thing that I don't think I've ever heard talked about, but definitely was true with me and I think could be true with other people is that through service you heal mm. and I think it's probably the best thing I could have done to to deal with grief and uh, it, it amazed me when whenever I go and whenever I work and and help people I always think I'm going to go and help people and I end up getting so much more in return than I can ever give. It's like, you just can't out give. It's just the way the world works. And so uh, it was, it was healing for me to, to be there. It sounds like it a hundred percent. And you could, you could totally see how you could make a difference there. It's, you know, it's not uncommon if I'm talking with, you know, various patients who are they're, they've gotten to the point in their life because of things that are going on, they're very much locked in their head with these intrusive thoughts and ruminations and they, they can't quite seem to escape this cage that their head has become. And so being able to 
come out of that. And it's not unusual for us to talk about, you know, what do you think about maybe doing some volunteer work? You know, let's look at some areas, you know, some things that are in our area that you can go and do where you can focus on someone else and see that not only are you helping someone else, but it also kind of makes some room for gratitude when we're not feeling that. Right. Right. I think that's, that is absolutely the key is, is that you get out of your own head. It forces you to get out of your own head. You know, it forces you to, to think about other things and think about other people and see that, okay, yeah, you've got this life and it's, it's tough right now, or it's tough period. You know, we all go through stuff, but so do other people. And some, I think there's somebody always worse off than you are. And to see that can really change your thinking. And gratitude is a huge part of that. Well, and I'm thinking that for you, from what you're saying, that was really key in helping you to move forward once your husband had passed away. Because I'm imagining listeners hearing your story thinking, oh my gosh, I would have been in a fetal position in the bed, I would have had the curtains drawn. I wouldn't answer the phone. I would have just been in my pajamas for six weeks. I, you know, they're listening to what you went through and imagining if it were them and thinking how in the world she's sitting there holding her husband. She has cancer herself. He, he dies in her arms. And to get from that to being able to go to Haiti and to feel productive and helpful, that that transformation, because that's kind of what we talk about on Phoenix and Flame is pushing through and transforming even when you feel like a pile of ash, not if, but when, because we're all going to be there. And so that's really kind of what I hear you trying to explain. For sure. You know, the, a couple things. One is that I did have a great marriage. And as I've met people who, women in particular, who have lost their, their spouse, people that seem to struggle with it the most are people that have a lot of regrets, mm. uh, which has been interesting to me. But I don't have a lot of regrets. I mean, I, I can't imagine anybody not having some, but, uh, but I really don't. I mean, we, we had a great time and we didn't wait to travel. We didn't, you know, put everything on the back burner. We always kept our marriage uh, number one in our lives. Like we knew that we had to be great together to be great parents. And so that was always important to us. And he was just this incredible guy. He was, he was just this wonderful guy and, and my complete opposite. I'm, I'm very optimistic and he is, was pessimistic. So he would say, that he's a, he was a realist and that I live in la-la land. <laughs> he would explain it. <laughs> but so, so, yeah, so regrets, I think, um, is one thing. But another thing is I've seen people go through grief and everybody handles it differently. And, you know, there's a formula or something, steps you're supposed to go through, you know, whatever that people write about, talk about. And, I don't know if, if everybody has to do it exactly the same. Everybody's got their own path, their own walk. But I think when you lose somebody, a child, a spouse, somebody very close to you, it's easy to think that you're going to be disrespectful. You're going to 
somehow a show that you don't care so much if you laugh, if you if you have fun again. And so you can stay stuck in the somber instead of allowing yourself to laugh again. And I think that the opposite is true. I don't think it's disrespect. I think it's respect to laugh. Because first of all, they wouldn't want you to just live in the somber for, you know, and go on through life that way. But also they uh, would want you to laugh. But if you love that person, you need to then show that that life is great and that you can live a life to honor them. Mm-hmm. I like that. That it's a it's honoring to them to go forward and continue to carpe diem, you know, seize the day and, and enjoy that as a an honorarium as opposed to disrespect. It's a totally different way of, of viewing that. Right. Right. Yeah. And I and I just believe it to be true. And what a happier life, right? And people actually want to be around you. I mean, that's another thing that can happen is you can alienate the people that love you because you can be difficult to be around. And uh, and I get that, you know, I mean, widows, oh my word, the statistics for widows are, are terrible. We gain 15 pounds. That's nice already, right? Like who wants to gain 15 pounds? Uh, 80% leave their church. You lose 80% of your friends. I mean, it's like this bad statistic after bad statistic, but it, it makes sense sort of when you think about it because our friends were all couples. And so we did couples things. And then now I'm alone and uh, it felt funny for them to even, for, for them to call. It felt funny to them. And so I lost touch with all those people. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, but I have great friends. I have new friends. And they're, they're wonderful friends. And I still love those people and would call them, but it's not the same. Uh, it's just something that I think can happen. And, but living in the day and living happy, choosing to be happy, because it's, mm-hmm. it's a choice, but choosing to be happy, uh, those things don't bother me. The 15 pounds, I took it off again. <laughs> so that was okay. <laughs> Got rid of it. But, um, you know, whatever. There's great people in my life. I'm very fortunate. Well, what I hear you saying is that you really went into a different chapter because you had the chapter and the chapters plural when you were with your husband and you had your other um, couples, friends that you did things with. But whenever he passed away, whenever he died, like you said, you were not part of a couple anymore. And I hear this not only from people who are uh, widows, widowers, but also divorced. Um, it's That's a, a kind of a form of, of dying, a form of loss and grief that is still, they have to go into this other chapter. And I like the way you're pointing out that trying to be optimistic and allow yourself to laugh and be open and accepting of this new chapter, instead of trying to force the old chapter to continue and it's not going to work that way to be open to this brand new chapter. And if, if you're accepting of yourself and giving yourself space to laugh and to be grateful and all these types of things, then you will draw people to you versus making them just kind of want to stay away because you're just wrapped in the, you know, the black sackcloth and ashes wearing the hair shirt and everything. And not that somebody doesn't have 
a right to do that for a while, but at some point it's either accept and welcome this new chapter or just stay stuck and just Mm -hmm. being very angry that you had to move from the last chapter to this one. It's either accept it or, or don't. And there's going to be either rewards or ramifications either way. Right, right, right. And I think the longer you're stuck, the harder it is to get unstuck. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, give yourself permission to laugh again, give yourself permission to enjoy life, to get excited about seeing friends and doing things and because it's okay. It's all right to do that. Well, and I've got some questions for you about the love pursuit. But before I start asking those questions, I have one more comment about you were talking about not wanting any regrets. Because I feel like if people are listening and they they are in a relationship, that they might have words that they're not saying to their partner. They might have actions that they're not doing. For example, someone could really feel like they love their partner, but they've never said, I love you. Or just to give some other examples, you know, they, (laughs) this is going to sound kind of funny, but again, people that know me know I'm just, I'll say anything. So (laughs) have you said to your, to your husband or your wife, you know, you look really hot in those jeans or I can't wait till we get back home from this party because it's going to get, it's going to get fun, you know, or (laughs) just saying, say the word, because I think regrets sometimes are things that we are stuck inside of us, that words that we did not say, actions that we did not take, that we wish that we had. So it's like, do you wish that you had just gone up to your, to your partner and just grabbed him and just gave him a, a big long kiss on their, on their way out the door? And you're thinking, well, I might be kind of embarrassed or they might not know what in the world is coming off. If I do that, they might be surprised and I, that'd be weird. And just do the thing, do the thing, say the words, do the thing. And so what, what's going to happen? You know what? So, so someone, your partner might be, if you're not used to doing that, okay. Say you've got on in a rut, you know, and you're just doing the same, 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 same. Yes, if you say words like you look awesome in those jeans or I can't wait to get you out of them, you know, or something like that, they might look at you like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe you just said that. But they'll like it. I mean, this is your partner. Say the words, do the thing so that there won't be any regrets. That's kind of what was going through my head when you were talking about feeling like you didn't have regrets and that that helped you so much in in recovering and being able to accept that next chapter. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I know women that have a hard time initiating intimacy mm-hmm. in their marriage. And I always say to them, you got to be kidding me. Th- this is your person. Initiate it. It's okay. if he, It's all on him. My husband did not have a romantic bone in his body. And he claimed it's because he was left-handed. <laughs> So, right, you know, what a great That's a good one. <laughs> but I wanted romance. <laughs> I wanted romance. And so I knew it was up to me to create it. If I wanted it, I had to create it. And at first I did it a little begrudgingly because I'm like, no, you know, in the movies, it's always the man, you know, it's the man that does it. But shoot, I'm, I knew my husband for 10 days before I proposed to him. And it wasn't any grand proposal. We were making out on the couch. I asked him to marry me and he said, yes. I mean, <laughs> and so 
uh, I knew that I had to be the one. And it's okay to be the woman and make the romance happen. Oh, 100%. Because it's for you. It's for you, too. Don't just sit around passively, you know, have some agency. If there's ladies, if you're listening out there and you're thinking, oh my gosh, I don't, I don't know about that. Listen to my words. Listen to Kim's words. You can do this. Okay. This is your life. This is, you know, your power. This is your agency. And, you know, worst case scenario, you're thinking, well, what if I did this? And he looks at me funny. Well, so what? What if he does look at you funny? And so just keep moving. Like, let me give you a personal example. Like this happened just last night. So my husband was sitting in the living room watching TV. I forget what all was on, probably Big Bang Theory or something like that. He loves that show. And he's sitting over there eating eating a snack or something. And I just kind of looked at him sitting over there and I'm like, hmm. So I went over there and I just like just straddled him just and wrapped my arms around his neck. I had one knee on one side of his thigh, my other knee on the other side of his other leg facing him. And I just wrapped my arms around his neck and just kind of cuddled in and just sat there. He's got to where, you know, he's not at all surprised by that kind of thing because when, and I'm going to say, I, I bring this up in boundaries is that we train people what to expect from us. So I've done those kinds of things so much that, it doesn't surprise him anymore. So ladies, if you're out there and you're thinking, oh gosh, I, if I did that to my husband, he'd freak out. Well, okay. To your point, if you haven't done stuff like that, the first time you do it, yeah, he might be a surprise, but just, you know, take your control, have some agency. And so you don't have the regrets, speak the words, do the thing. Don't let fear rule you. If you're afraid somebody's going to think some kind of thing or do some kind of thing. So what, what if they do do it anyway? Right. Right. You know, that's one of the big things that I learned about love is you go to marriage counseling or you go to whatever and they'll say, you know, it's, it's 50, 50, it's a hundred, a hundred, you know, whatever. It's a two way street. You hear all the time. Love is a two way street. It isn't. It isn't. If I give you money and you give me a pair of jeans, that's a transaction. If I give you love to get love, that's a transaction. Love is not a transaction. You love, period. You have no control over anybody else. You have a baby. That baby is born and you have total control. You decide when the baby eats, when the baby gets a bath, when the baby goes down for a nap, you know, you, you're in control. But pretty soon, six, seven, eight months later, that baby is crawling and all of your Tupperware is all over the kitchen floor <laughs> and pots and pans are banging, right? And you realize you have lost all control and you will never get it back again. Nope, nope. We don't control anybody but ourselves. We have no control. But you don't give to get. Once you understand that all your only job is to love, just love and give, be love. Be love. Love isn't an emotion like fear and excitement. You know, those are things that come and go. We don't live in fear. That would be hard. We don't live in excitement, right? Emotions. Mm -hmm. Love is a constant. Love is walking and talking and living and breathing. Love is who you are, who you can be. And so you just give love. And love has this incredible special way of it does come back to you. Not always. Maybe not exactly the way you think, but you don't control that. You can't, you can't have any say in how much love comes back to you. You control you and you control the love that you give. 
I love that, that it's not a transaction. So what, when you're doing your, your kind of research, your personal research on this and really developing your wisdom on this, what surprised you the most? Well, um, one thing that surprised me a lot was that I would dedicate a whole year to anything. I go to a restaurant and have a hard time choosing and committing to an entree. So to commit an entire year to something was a lot for me. But uh, what surprised me the most is there were so many things about love that I was taught over the years. You know, you learn from your parents, grandparents, whoever influences your life. And things that I were taught, things that are done in the name of love, things that are said in the name of love that are not love, that, that are not love, have really nothing to do with love. You know, we... We so often, we're so happy on our wedding day, right? Oh my gosh, so happy and so happy before then. And oh, life is great, life is great. Until he leaves his underwear on the bathroom floor. And then you're wondering why you did this. But that's just something that he did. That's not who he is. You married him for who he, who he is. You married her for who she is. You're not marrying them for what they do when it comes to things like that, that can drive you crazy, you know, the top off of the toothpaste tube or whatever it is that, that drives people crazy. You marry people because of who they are and, and remember who they are and let them be who they are. You know, it is great that we are all different, that we are all so unique and so special. You know, you think about like the Mona Lisa, if it weren't up for sale, it would be millions and millions of dollars. I can't even imagine how much, right? Because it's one of a kind. And so are you, one of a kind. There is nobody that's been exactly like you. There's nobody that ever will be. There's nobody that has walked in your same shoes. Nobody. You are special and unique. And so is everybody else. And when you embrace your own uniqueness and love yourself for being who you're created to be, be being exactly how you are, and you love that about yourself, and then love it in other people. It doesn't mean you got to be best friends with everybody. You don't necessarily have to like everybody, but let people be who they're created to be. Let, let them be and and admire the differences. It's uh, It's a beautiful world that we live in. And the more people you know, the more you realize, ah, we probably have a lot more in common than we think. And, and, it's, and it's a way better world. Like if, if all the world was full of me, I would drive myself crazy. <laughs> it's great that we have diversity in our world. We have I've got two questions about this. And I know we're, we're kind of wrapping up, but, but we're on a roll. So I'm not, we're going to kind of, so I'm just going to give you both questions and then you can answer it however you want to. So one question is, sometimes I'll get people in therapy and they'll say, Dana, you know, I hear what you're saying about self-love and affirming myself and all this kind of stuff and has to start with me and I can't wait for other people to affirm me and validate me and all that because I can't control them, blah, blah, blah. But then sometimes they'll say, but I don't know how to do that because I didn't come from a place that I learned how to love myself and how to affirm myself. I don't even know what that looks like. And I'm thinking I, I may have a few listeners out there that are listening to you going, well, that sounds wonderful, but, and then the other question that I had 
is in terms of relationships, like what if it's a situation where, you know, you have people get married and let's say it becomes abusive where the husband is, it doesn't have to always be this way, but I'm just kind of giving an example that the husband is abusing physically and emotionally and possibly sexually abusing his wife. And she keeps trying to do her part and to own her own stuff and, and that, but he has, he has just become increasingly dysfunctional and there's, he won't go to therapy. He won't really, he might go once, but he doesn't really want to change. He doesn't really see there's anything wrong with him. So he might go once to say he did therapy or he tried, but he didn't really, but he wants it to look like he did. And so then he can go back home and continue the emotional and occasional physical and occasional sexual abuse with her. So she's going to have people in her life that may or may not be aware of that abuse that are telling her, you know, you need to love your husband. That's your job. That's who you married. Appreciate him for who he is. Be grateful for all the money he's bringing into the family. Love him. And so it's hard for someone in her position going through what she's going through and then hearing these words of criticism and judgment, she gets stuck. Like, what am I supposed to do? If I leave him or if I don't, does that mean I'm a horrible, unloving, hateful person? But if I stay, what's I'm continuing to participate in this abuse. So there you go. There's two questions. (laughs) Okay. Well, uh, first of all, to the woman who's being abused, leave, leave. I think it's the opposite of love to, to stay and, and take the abuse because what you're doing is you're allowing him to not get better. Like you're allowing him to stay who he is, who, what, what he's doing and how he's creating havoc and not good things in your life. And if you love him, walk away. You know, it's not loving him to stay. That, that doesn't mean a thing. You don't have to stay in a bad relationship. Boundaries are important. Boundaries are part of love. There, if there are people that are toxic in your life, then why do you have them in your life? Why, why are they there? If they're not lifting you up and, and feeding your love tank and really embracing you as a good friend and someone you can confide in and, and love, then uh, they don't need to be a part of your life. You okay, but I, I, I want to kind of just jump in here because I've talked to people who, that when they try to do it, exactly what you're saying, there's other people out there that are telling them, oh, well, so you're acting like love is transactional. So you're only going to be loving if you're getting something positive back from this person. So if you're not getting something positive back from this person, then you're just going to walk away. And so then they get all, then they get criticized and, and judged and accused of being, of using love like, like it's a transaction in those cases. Right, right. But it doesn't have anything to do with that at all. Because you can still love the person and you should. You, you can still love the person. It doesn't have anything to do with that. It has to do with your own mental health and and who you want to be as a person. You know, they say that we're the sum total of the five people that we spend the most time with. So think about that. You know, who are your five people that you spend the most time with? People can bring you down. You know, if you, I read recently that that if you hang out with all overweight people, chances are you're going to be overweight. 
if you hang out with people who are um, gossipy, chances are you're going to be gossipy. Is that what you want? What do you want in life? And for people to criticize outside, other people criticize you for it, who cares? I know that's hard to take, and I know that other relationships can end, and I, I know all that. But it's your life, and you only have one to live. And you get to decide who's in your life and who's not in your life. And that has nothing to do with love, because you can love and not like. And you can love, because I, I think you should love everybody. And, and, and loving somebody, sometimes walking away is the very best thing that you can do the best thing for them and the best thing for you because maybe they want to be different, but they're in a rut because this is how they've been with you. And maybe they want to change, or maybe it's a little bit of a wake up call for them that these actions maybe aren't so great that you're going to lose friends over it. And, and it's okay. It's okay. Put up those boundaries and, and walk away. You can walk away. And I know it's hard. It sounds easy. I know it's hard, but, but do it. And going back to self-love, yeah, you know, some of us are raised in homes where we're not told, oh, you're so cute and you're so smart and you're so wonderful. And, and so then how do you love yourself? Well, you're not in that home anymore. You're an adult. And you want to be the person that you're created to be. And so you can forget that you weren't taught that and figure out ways to love yourself, figure out ways to love yourself. If you sat down and made a list of the 10 best things about you, the 10 best things, or if you can't do it yourself, have a friend do it. What are the 10 best things about me? You know, am I kind? Am I funny? You know, what is it? What are the 10 best things? And realize that that means there are 10 really great things about you. There are 10 great things about you. Who doesn't love a person that has 10 great things about them, right? <laughs> and, and if you have to, it's not a bad exercise to look at yourself in the mirror and tell yourself that you love yourself. Tell yourself, I love you. Maybe If you're not hearing it from anybody else, it doesn't matter, but you should hear it from yourself. You know, and it'll, be, it'll feel funny at first, right? To look in the mirror and say, I love you. But the more you do it, less funny it feels and the more you believe it. Absolutely. Well, Kim, I appreciate so much, not only everything that you've shared, but I've, I've thrown some curveballs at you because I hear these stories and I, that's one of the thing about Phoenix and flame is, and you talked about how you have life application for dessert. Well, that's why I talked about, application because I hear these real life stories so much that I want to make sure that all of my listeners, that when we talk about it, when we have engagement on, on the podcast, that we're answering real questions because I know there's going to be people out there that are thinking, yeah, but, and so I want to ask those questions because they can't. So we get to talk about that and, and present something that they're like, oh my gosh, that's, that's meat. That's real stuff. I can go do that tomorrow. I can do that today. This is something that I really can do. And I feel like that you have provided that today um, in talking about this topic of love and, and applying it. And what does that look like in tough situations? So I appreciate that so much. Yeah. Well, thank you for saying that. And, and I've been in those situations too. 
I mean, I think we all have. We've all had had times like that or people like that in our lives. And and where are they now? You know, what do you need to do about it? So I, I appreciate you saying that. And I appreciate so much what you do because giving people meat is is important. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So let's make sure, Kim, we need to get my listeners to be able to access all your stuff. So where do you want them to go when they're thinking, oh my gosh, I love what Kim has to say. I'd love to read the books that she wrote. What, where's her, does she have a podcast? What I really would like to be able to access and hear more about what Kim has to say, where should they go? Well, my website is kimsorrell.com, but my last name is obnoxious. <laughs> it has way too many letters, even though I'm literally the only Kim Sorrell spelled my way in the entire world. But there are two R's, two E's, two L's, S-O-R-R-E-L-L-E. That's a lot to remember. So you can get to my website by typing in loveis.info, loveis.info, a little easier to remember. But because... I'm the only Kim Sorrell. I'm very easy to find. I'm all over social media. I love hearing from people. I uh, have a free love challenge on my website. Anybody who wants to sign up, it's it's a pretty simple love challenge. Just make you think for 14 days. And if you sign up for it, I send you a free. So it's free to sign up and I send you for free a WWLD wristband. What would love do? Because if you can answer any question that way, you know you're doing the right thing. I like that. I like that. And for those of you who are listening and maybe you're out jogging or maybe you're folding clothes or washing dishes or doing whatever, and you're thinking, oh my gosh, how am I, I can't remember this. No worries. No worries. All of this is going to be in the show notes. So I'm going to put that down and make sure everything, everywhere we can get a hold of Kim is going to be in the show notes. So you can like scroll down and, and have access to that. So once again, Kim, Thank you. Thank you for your time and your willingness to come and be open and vulnerable and talk about this topic of love and how we apply it to our lives. My pleasure. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you so much. (laughs) All right, guys, I know you've heard something today that has been amazingly helpful. So if you want to share what you've heard, let's say you have a coworker or you have a friend, or you have a relative, you're thinking, I know just the person or persons that need to hear this particular episode, then just copy and paste the link through text, through email, post it on your favorite social media sites. We need to grow our Phoenix Inflamed community so we continue to reach out and understand that we're all in this together and we can all help each other to get better and stronger. I hope the rest of your day goes fantastic. This is Dana on Phoenix Inflamed.